This episode of Undercommon Taste is sponsored by... Are you looking for a D&D podcast with a dark side? Something more like Game of Thrones and less like Monty Python? Tale of the Manticore is part dark fantasy audio drama, part solo D&D RPG. There's no plot armor here. The dice make all the important decisions. Join me as I resurrect the excitement, wonder, and emotion of old-school D&D. Made for a mature audience, Tale of the Manticore is both a fiction and a game. It's the story where chaos rolls. taste this is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop rpgs once more we sacrifice the comfort and safety for the glowing lure of treasure and gold i'm ian woodworth and i'm joined by my co-host james daly today we have two special guests with us thomas and andrew from lords of gallopi games here to talk about their game trail of heroes thomas andrew welcome to undercommon taste thanks for having us yeah, thanks thank for showing you. up with us. <laughs> uh, and like I said earlier, it's Galapay, Lords of Galapay. And I asked before we started. Yes. <laughs> I asked before we got, we just confused. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not going to, again, not going to say anything. I'm just going to be good for once. I'm going to add it in my notes, Galapay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so anyway... Now that we got all of that awkwardness out of the way, Thomas, Andrew, would you like to introduce yourselves a little bit and your company? You go first, Thomas. All right. Name's Thomas. Been, was it, three years now as part of the LLC? Been playtesting for at least six. So mm, way more than that. Way more than that, technically. But yeah, so I've been around pretty much since Andy decided to go on his own and make his own company. But I'm in charge of marketing and advertising for the company. So I do the front end. Andy does all the back end stuff. So Awesome. So you're the front of the horse? Yes. Okay, perfect. <laughs> I do all the creative stuff behind the scenes that nobody gets to really hear me talk about because I'm not good at talking. There was an incident at a convention. <laughs> I didn't do anything horrible. I just made myself very embarrassed. And my friend Drew, who was with me at the time, said... Andy, you're no longer allowed to talk to anyone. <laughs> we all need a friend like that some days. You know what? It's like, dude, you know what? Just just step on back. We we got you taken care of. Do your yeah. stuff. We'll cover the rest. <laughs> just just here. Hand me the shovel. Stop digging. <laughs> I have needed that friend on occasion myself. <laughs> See, Ian and I, we're, we're the kind of friend that'll just hand like, oh, oh, the shelf's not working. Here's some dynamite. <laughs> let me let me go grab the jackhammer for you. Yeah. <laughs> I think I have a mole machine around here somewhere. <laughs> oh. All right. So what was your inspiration for the game? Like what got you saying, hey, you know what? We can make a game, but we need it this way and better. Okay. That's always a hard thing to start with. So this is the greatest secret of my company. I started working on this game in sixth grade as a math project because I always wanted to create my own system just for fun. And I was told you have to create a game that has something to do with math. And my math teachers, I'm just going to call her my math teacher because I don't remember her name. Her only 
stipulation was it had to include math and her definition of that was there were numbers or patterns or anything like that somewhere in the game so i'm like you know what i'm gonna create a tabletop rpg and my dad's like no you won't (laughs) (laughs) so i started on it and he was more and more surprised as i continued and continued and continued and I think my first iteration of it had like one paragraph of rules. And he looked at it and he pointed to it and he goes, what about this, 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 this? I'm like, oh, crap. So um, <laughs> I ended up with probably about 20 pages of rules for the game when I turned it in as a project. And even though no one got to play test it because they never got past reading the rules, because as much as I insisted, they just skip reading the rules because it's a tabletop RPG. And they all insisted on reading all the rules. So no one actually got to play test the game, but I got an A on my project because I did more work than anyone else. But from there, it kind of took a back burner and I worked on it a little bit throughout the years. And then in college, I started working on it more because I didn't actually get any D&D playtime. And then when fourth edition came out, I'm like, screw it. I really need to focus on this, get this out now, because it was almost immediately clear that D&D was taking a dive. And I was like, now is the time to have a new game. So I worked feverishly on it. And then in 2016, I decided, you know what? I'm going to start a business with this game. Actually, in 2013, I published it for the first time. That was an interesting experience. And then in 2016, I started my own company. And Thomas had actually been helping me since it was 2007, I think. Yeah, it was, it was like junior, senior year of high school, something around that time period. Well, it was halfway through high school is when you started playing it with me. But I think you actually started getting it got official around yes. 2007. Yeah, we signed a contract around that point. Yeah. And then in 2016, he was in the Navy and I left my day job to exclusively work on the company. And ever since then, that's all I've been doing. My game in general, what I focus on, what I used to focus on is simplicity and customization. At this point, it's customization and replayability. Uh, Simplicity has gone out the window because I kept (laughs) trying to make it more simple and that just backfired. (laughs) But the customization and replayability have gone through the roof over the past few years. What I love about the game is you can literally take any character and do anything you want with it. You just have so many possibilities of a character and a party makeup. There's not like any character that is an essential character for a party, especially depending on the GM. It's wonderful. Like I've said, I've been playing this since I was in sixth grade. I have yet to come across a point where I have tried everything. And I'm 33. (laughs) It's been a while. And I still haven't tried everything. And that's extremely exciting to me. Yeah, no, I can see that. And replayability and customization are two really big pillars that you definitely need with a game. If it's a tabletop game, if it's a video game, if it's anything where you play it once and you have to set it down because you've done everything with it, that always makes the game kind of lackluster. And I love customization. You see a lot of games, particularly the past 10 years or so, where they're trying to get more and more casual players have really cut down 
on the customizations to make the games more simple, as you say. And and I find that that works with some games, but in a lot of games, that has been a massive, massive drawback. Yeah. So I, I want to go ahead and step in here real quick, just so everybody knows what it is we're talking about. What is Trail of Heroes? Oh, yeah. I never said that, did I? Um, <laughs> Wait, it's see, a at it talking. We always end up getting going and then i have to stop us and back up and say okay what is this game we're talking about again yeah exactly it's not you it's everyone (laughs) it happens every time so don't feel bad (laughs) okay so trail of heroes is a high fantasy tabletop rpg and it was inspired a lot by rollmaster and oddly enough the diablo series a great series yes yeah that pretty much sums it up. It's set in the world of Galpe, although it's quite easy to take that system and plant it in a different setting. So, yeah. So how's the base mechanics of this game work? We open the box, we see all the stuff. What do we do? That is a good question. It is a percentile based system, but I'm just going to talk about standard because that's the only one that's published at the moment. Okay. Because I don't think I said this on air, but there are three versions of the game. There's basic, standard, and advanced, which are all different levels of uh, complexity. So in standard, it's a D percentile based system. Most of the damage base is like a D20 plus some D6s. The damage dice are based on your class. And then the weapons and items add a static bonus to your damage most of the time. (laughs) Spells work completely differently. There's great spell mechanics. You can specialize in most spells, allowing you to have a character who at legendary level, which is 16th level, it's just as plausible to have a fireball mage as it would be to have a firebolt mage. Firebolt is a first level spell. Fireball is again a third level spell. So massive difference there. Having a first level spell and having a mage focus in that all the way through the game is something not a lot of systems can do. And then, you know, you can specialize. Fighters can specialize in weapons. Archers. Archers are like the rogue slash archer slash ranger type thing. And they can choose on an individual level basis whether to spend more points in thieving abilities or spend more points in standard abilities. And I'm getting ahead of myself. It's a point buy system for leveling up. Okay. There's very little rolling in the leveling up. There is some because I recognize that people like to roll dice. <laughs> and it's I, a click clack of the math rocks. We just got to love it. Exactly. We collect shiny math rocks for a reason. <laughs> yeah, I have a drawer of a thousand of them sitting right next to me. And I'm not kidding. There's literally a thousand of them. I, I counted. But uh, yeah, so everybody loves rolling dice. And a lot of people like rolling dice, but they don't like the fact that if they roll bad, their character's going to suck. So I kind of balanced the amount that it has to matter because there's also a lot of people that are like, you know what? I want my roles to matter because then it gives more depth to my character. So there's a few roles that really matter. There's a few roles that don't really matter except for role playing. And I tried to make it as balanced as possible between whether they matter and whether they don't. An example of that would be toughness. That's a good example. 
So toughness is damage reduction versus elemental attacks because you've got a stat against physical attacks, which is armor that does the same thing. It's damage reduction versus physical attacks. But spells bypass armor, so toughness plays a big role. But you only get anywhere from one to eight toughness to begin with. Gotcha. So it's really not as big of a deal if you don't roll well because it's a difference of at most seven from maximum to minimum. Okay. But it's still something that you want high. It's just not something that's going to make or break your character. Now, I love the way you're describing the way you do that point by with your characters, particularly with leveling up. Have you ever by chance played, this is an older game, but it was called Divine Divinity. It came out around 98, early 2000, somewhere in there. That would have been right around the time that I would have been making these games, but no, I have never played it. Okay, it's an older game. It led on people played Divinity 2, Divinity 1. It it was the same studios. I believe it was Larian Studios. But this was their first game they put out. And again, it was very much like a Diablo clone. But they had that point-by system with your characters where you could go and you had your three basic classes. And then, like, for your wizards, you could sit there and each each level you got so many points so you could buy a new spell or you could just start amping up your lower-level spells. So I kind of get that feel where you're talking about, you know, your Firebolt Mage, where if you just dumped all of your points in that Firebolt, that Firebolt hit like a freaking truck. Right. <laughs> Same thing with a Rogue. You could have a Rogue that could see a bunch of stuff, but then if you try to multi-class once or twice, you could start picking up some magic abilities or some of the warrior abilities. And it did give your characters a lot of flexibility, which was a lot of fun with the game. Yeah, and I think one of the things you got to remember when I'm talking about a firebolt mage that does 76d6 firebolt damage. One thing you got to remember is that mage sacrificed a lot to get there. And I'm talking about a real specific example. I played that mage that got to 16th level and he was rolling 76d6s every firebolt. a lot of d6s. But he probably yes. had like two hit points, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I bought a lot of d6s for that. Uh, <laughs> and you don't automatically get health leveling up you have to spend points in it so yes i was low in health but i was also low in defense i was low in armor i was lower in casting accuracy which are all important spots like these days i would never make a mage like that because i'm like if i get attacked i'm screwed because defense is going to stop them from hitting you armor is going to stop them from doing a lot of damage to you And if you don't have either of those things, also, if you have low health because you're only spending one point in health every time you level up, you're out of luck if someone hits you. Right. You're not a glass cannon. You're a paper cannon. Yeah, Yeah. pretty much. (laughs) You're a party popper. (laughs) (laughs) But it's one hell of a party, let me tell you. Oh, my. (laughs) Best fireworks in town. Better than Gandalf. Now, one mechanic I had read when I was reading kind of over your base rules for this that I kind of found exciting was you were saying that you pre-generate a map and you're delving through these dungeons as it were, but your party can choose to bail out of the dungeon whenever they want. Is that correct? Yes, that is something that has survived from the original game where it was much more cut and dry with the adventures. 
Okay. But yes, you can do that. I figure that'll probably end up being a GM to GM basis, whether they cut that out or not. But as a GM, I always allow that to happen just because I believe honestly that the players and the GM should work together to decide what the quest is. It shouldn't just be the GM saying, this is what you have to do. You can't stop until you've done it all. If the whole purpose of my system in general is to let the players do whatever they want, it makes sense. Yeah, no, I like this mechanic a lot for a couple of reasons. One, I can see this as a bunch of like easy one-offs where instead of having to roll, run a huge campaign and have everyone getting there for a scheduled date and doing whatever, if you can show up, you play. If you don't, you don't for whatever day. I think this would be a lot of fun too, like if you're at a game store or like a big convention type thing, mm -hmm. and you could get three or four groups that were working over several sessions, you could have like a guild competition to see who got the most treasure over a set time. I like that. Like some sort of like reward for the winning group or whatever. But this way, you have your players playing with each other, but they're also competing against other groups doing the same thing. And that gives a wider competitive multiplayer feel to it, which I think would work beautifully with this game. I like that. Thomas, remember that when we go to RavenCon <laughs> next oh, yeah. year. <laughs> yeah. I'd also like to interject that one of the key components to our game is to have fun. And this also plays into that as well, because if players aren't having fun with the campaign, then they have the ability to back out and rethink of what they're trying yeah, to do that's next. also extremely important i mean as ian said many times the point of the game is in fact to have fun it's not yeah. like a second job or something like that and it's on both sides too like it's not only the players that need to have fun the gm also has to have fun so that's why there's control on both sides yeah, because right. people often forget that the gm is another player at the table this is very yes. true. Yeah. That, is, that is a hard thing to remember when you're in the middle of the game. That is a wonderful way to put it. It's also hard to remember when you're the person running the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it, sometimes it gets difficult, like with dice rolls in general. Like today, I rolled three vital hits on one character three rounds in a row with my hardest hitting monster, an ogre named Big Bones. And he was doing like 100 damage before the vital, like 100 to 108 damage before the vital. So that would have ended up killing that character. And I don't generally like to fudge dice rolls. I don't generally like to do anything like that. But when it's threatening the enjoyment of the game, then I start doing it a little bit behind the scenes. This time I, I was a little bit more blunt. I said, listen, I'm just going to roll real dice from now on because I was using roll 20. And I'm like, I'm going to roll real dice this time. And this last vital is just going to be replaced by the real dice. And I happen to roll lower, you know, and there have been people in the past that say things like, well, if you're going to have them re-roll a die, why don't you just make it a certain amount? I'm like, no, that's not the same thing because a re-roll of the die says it still could be random it's just you have a better chance of doing well and i've never been good with probabilities so that possibly isn't true thomas could tell me that <laughs> <laughs> but so i mean like it's still random so if i don't let them roll infinitely until they do great it's not the same thing and i've only ever really give people two rolls in a row. I mean, that's one of those things you really kind of want to hammer out in a session zero. 
you know, yeah. and that's the games I've played. I'm like, you know, I always consider session zero kind of like your game settings when you're setting up like a video game. Like, do you want to play this absolutely strictly rules as written? Do you want to allow some homebrew? If your characters are dropping, do you want me to like somehow preserve them? Or are you fine with, you know, scrubbing a character and rewriting a new one? And this right. kind of gives the players an idea of what they're setting up, but it also gives them the chance to choose. And if they have a problem with it later, I'm like, this is what we discussed during session zero. This is what you guys wanted. So here we are. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Session zeros are something I wasn't taught about when I was growing up. My dad was pretty much my main influence on how to play these games. And I just didn't know their existence. As soon as I started going on Twitter, which was actually not that long ago, relatively, I realized, oh, session zeros are a thing. This is a great idea. It really, really is, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, now, with your monster, you talked about this giant ogre you had, and the way, from the rules, you say your maps are kind of generated beforehand. Is there a level progression of the strength of your monsters and enemies and foes? How is that determined? Like, as you go through, do things continually get more difficult, or are the monsters randomly generated each time? What I generally do is... That's up to the GM and the players and what they decide they want to do. But what I generally do is the monsters go up in level as you go up in level. I tend to pair it with areas that would make sense to have higher level monsters as you go on. Because there's no point in being like, okay, well, I'm going to fight this dragon in the middle of this forest that's known to mostly have goblins. Right. It doesn't compute. But if you're like, okay, I'm going to the island of dragons. I'm going to fight a dragon. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. But it also makes sense. This is something my dad and I disagree on. It also makes sense if you're lower level that you'll be fighting the lower level monsters. And if you're higher level, you'll be fighting the higher level monsters. Or else sometimes it gets bored or it just gets really miserable because the players are slaughtered every time right and there is an aspect of run away if you can't handle it but it shouldn't always be on that no absolutely not and that's other games that i enjoy but the original darkest dungeon was really good about that where you constantly delved into dungeons and there was that ability if you went too far if you overextended if you got stomped by something that popped up that was a random encounter the party always did have the option to oh, yeah. bounce out of the dungeon. There was various penalties for that that weren't terribly too severe, but that option always existed, which I think was a wonderful yes. mechanic within the game. Yeah, totally. But to go back and answer your question more accurately and specifically, monsters have what is called an EL, which is similar to the challenge rating of D&D. &D. However, there's one big difference. It's not meant to be taken as challenge rating. It's meant to be used to calculate experience points, but it's not meant to be used to calculate who you should be fighting. The way the mechanics work, it's a lot easier to just do the math and figure out how tough these monsters need to be to fight the characters. I don't do the math personally. I throw a couple obviously easy encounters at them and then say, oh, I got a feel for how you are and ramp it up from there. But it's also very easy to do the math and then give them the right EL monster. And the ELs are also based on a typical encounter with that monster. So the EL of a goblin 
is 1.5. That basically is saying that the EL is based on a bunch of goblins, not one goblin, because you usually run into a bunch of goblins at a time. Now, if it's an EL of a... I don't have ELs of dragons, so that's a bad example. Uh, <laughs> EL of like a really powerful demon, like a Legamto. I believe that's like an EL 8 or 9. And that is meant to be just one Legamto and a bunch of demons that are underlings. Okay. So you have, no, I, I can totally get the feel for that. You'll have your big thing or your minion, or you'll have a small horde, and each individual piece of that horde is a certain amount of experience points, if I get the feel for it, correct? Right. Okay, perfect. And it used to be, way, way back in the day, I tried to balance the experience a similar way to 5e, where it's just a flat amount of experience for each level. I don't know if your audience generally played before 5e, but... At least within 3.5, which is what I played a lot of. It was you add up all the experience and then you divide it and you had to look on a chart to see what experience goes with what level. And then you divided it by however big the party was. It was this big, complicated calculation. From my understanding, 5e has simplified this to, okay, this monster is worth 50 experience points for everybody. Uh, sometimes it depends on how you're running the rules. But yeah, often, yes. And I tried that, which really worries me about 5e because I haven't done that much with it. But I did try that and I just couldn't get it to balance. So I went back to like this, a similar thing with 3.5, except I used different math and I made it different. Gotcha. No, that works. And I mean, and it's a lot better than like second edition where the experience went to whoever actually killed the monster, whoever delivered the killing blow. Yeah, that was a big issue. You know, you'd have people like sniping people's kills and you'd have like a level seven cleric and then like a bunch of fighters and stuff who never got to kill anything. Like, hey, they're all level one still. <laughs> yeah, it, it usually ended up the other way around. Your fighters ended up getting up around Killing level things. seven, eight, and then your cleric is level two because they're a healer and they're not actually landing killing blows. Right, yeah. I'm remembering Rollmaster now. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you have first edition where it, it was experience for gold, so you had to find the treasure hordes in order to actually gain levels. Right. Yeah. When I first started playing tabletop games, it was Rollmaster. And I was like five or eight or something like that. And my dad would do all the complicated stuff for us and then we'd have fun. And I don't know if this is the actual rules because I was too young to know. But this is how he ran it. You get experience for fights. You get experience for treasure. You get experience for spectacular things with spells and such. But it was also that sort of thing where the person who did it got the experience. And that was something that always bugged me. But I didn't realize how much it bugged me until I started to play a different system. <laughs> I, I could see that, yeah. Because when it's your first system, you kind of got blinders on, especially if you're like a little kid obsessed with this game that you've heard your dad tell stories about for your whole life. And you just want to play this game and pretend to be someone you're not and have all this fun. You don't really notice all the little problems. You notice how great your character is. You notice all the role playing experiences you had. You notice the fun stuff. And like, even when my characters died, well, came close to dying. None of them died. This was the time I didn't care about it the most. Since then, I have become a forever DM because I panic easily as a player. 
and I get very controlling. And I understand that's not a good way to be a player. <laughs> it's especially not fun when you have other players. So I try to limit my playing as a player because it's just not fair to everyone else. And I do enjoy GMing, but I wasn't that way back then because I was so new to it. Right. Well, I mean, there's a bit of knowing yourself as a player that's very important too. And you can only know yourself as a player so much if you're still young or new to the game either way. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to direct this one at Thomas because Thomas hasn't (laughs) gotten a whole lot of talking time. Uh, And this is is sort of a a marketing pitch sort of question. All right. What makes your game, quote unquote, not D&D? Because, you know, we have to talk about the 800 pound gorilla in the room. Yes. Whenever we're talking about fantasy role playing games, D&D is eponymous with fantasy role playing. So what makes Trail of Heroes not D&D? Well, I think the key here is for us, customization. So D&D are very limited in the amount of ways you can develop your characters. We're not. The GMs and players have much more control over gameplay. And then the other thing is we're percentile based. So the whole D20 thing is out the window. And then as Andy was specifying before, the whole experience and stuff is all rewritten. And I think a little bit easier to handle so it's just i think it's easier to read it's easier to play it's just easier i think <laughs> i mean i have not played 5e or yes you have i have played 5e i just haven't played it a whole lot it's been nine years i think since i played 3.5 at least so as andy was saying my blinders are a little bit on because i've been only playing trail of heroes at the moment so it's hard at this point for me to compare it between the two but okay. I don't know. I When I switched, I liked it way better, and I haven't gone back. So I think that's saying something. <laughs> One possible difference I think I've noticed is, from what I've seen, I don't know if I've missed it. Is there a whole lot of like story arc with Trail of Heroes, or is it solely like, let's get in and get to the dungeon and the combat and the treasure looting? Or will there be chances for like in-depth roleplay and, like I said, like, story arcs and campaigns? Or is it all just... In and go. No, uh, it's 100%. You can do both. Okay. I've done one-offs where we just hop in, do a dungeon, do a map, and that's it. We did one last Halloween where we'd had three or four people play, and we just killed a bunch of zombies, and that was it. Or uh, any other of my other role-playing experiences, I've done three or four campaigns now with different parties, and I had a Cyclops that uh, I rolled so badly on one roll that I checked. And I do this every now and then with my players. I roll a random D100 to see what happens. And I rolled so shitty that the Cyclops now all sees like butterflies in his mind. <laughs> and even just like, oh, butterfly, I'm not going to attack right now. I'm good. <laughs> so I, I add little bits of flavor in every now and then like that. And then Andy's really good at creating like storylines around it. So basically he has his entire like empire built up around it. So there's a bunch of role playing opportunities there. We have guilds and all other sorts of things you can join that allow for good role playing opportunities. So yeah, I think there's a lot of like, even if you don't have your own world already built to implement the system into, we have a world built with it that you can jump into and have a bunch of role-playing opportunities as well. Awesome. By the way, that whole butterfly thing got incorporated in the World Anvil article for Cyclopses. <laughs> That's awesome. We got hippie Cyclops. That's yeah. kind of what my, that's what my heart needs right now. I need like a pedal sniffing Cyclops. Ooh, yeah. flowers. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, he, that Cyclops was a lot of fun to play, I have to say. We got to get back to that campaign. That ended <laughs> on a really big cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> now, James, we have to separate the Cyclops from the Lotus Eaters. Those are two different parts of oh, the yeah. Odyssey. <laughs> Very true, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Cyclops could visit the Lotus Eaters maybe once or twice. Yeah, I suppose. You never know. Maybe catch shipments come in with the sheep. The Cyclops, the Cyclops was with the Golden Fleece, right? No. No, he was just a separate <laughs> island. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And then Odysseus blinded him and then bragged about it on his way out, which is why he went to his father Poseidon, and Poseidon ended up making Odysseus take 20 years to get home. Well, time because, you know, once again, Odysseus, as normal, exceeds the acceptable level of, of douchebaggery. <laughs> he does. He really does. I mean, that... That qualifies for most of the Greek heroes. Let's let's just Granted. be completely honest fair, about that. Fair, 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 fair. I mean, they're demigods, so they automatically see themselves as being superior to your average humans, and so they act accordingly, which is not great. Yeah, I read a quote last week that would also be a great band name, but hubris made manifest. <laughs> yeah, that'd be yeah. a really good band name. But uh, yeah, the interesting point about the Cyclops in Greek mythology with the Odyssey is that um, originally going further back than that one particular epic, Cyclopses were considered to be much more civilized and advanced. They weren't these bumbling idiots that they are in the Odyssey. They were master smiths that helped create I think they helped create the lightning bolt, the helm of invisibility, and the trident for the, you know, Zeus. Yeah, they lived with the Titans, did they not? Or they worked with the Titans at the very least. Yeah, I think they helped out the gods, though, in the the final revolt. I think that's why they made those three things, was to help defeat the Titans. Right. I'm not sure, though. It's been a while since I had to read about that. Yeah. And that one Cyclops, I mean, he was living on an island by himself. He was kind of an outcast anyway. And and even still, he's herding sheep. So, I mean, he's not completely primitive. But that is a vastly different rabbit trail for a different time. (laughs) Yes. This is true. I'm sorry. I I just can't leave that. I I, I will delve into Greek and Roman myth with you any day. That's just... (laughs) We we never follow rabbit trails on this podcast. No, this is your podcast, (laughs) you know. And again, if you want to talk about Greek and Roman history with your product, then yeah, I'm all for it. <laughs> and there's there's actually a lot of little snippets that Andy has included in his storyline yeah. that draw. It's like what am I trying to say? Inspiration. It's uh, inspiration from like Greek and Roman mythology. So oh, I would absolutely love that. He's, he's done a really good job of including snippets of history into his storyline and not just greek and roman mythology oh, i've yeah, gotten I'll... um i've got mr kappa yep i've got uh lord hanuman <laughs> i've got the baba yagas awesome yeah and i got you're... my own twist on all of them you're <laughs> doing my geek heart happy man you you really are <laughs> i even got a uh, kelpie madam kelpie is a big part of the world so i love it i absolutely love it All right, so what's the sort of feel that you're hoping to go for with this game? Is this supposed to be, you know, just this epic fantasy sort of feel? Or is it supposed to be a high lethality sort of game? Is it a combination? Is it something completely different? Where on all of those spectra does Trail of Heroes fall? Hey, Thomas, you want to take this one again since you haven't talked much? Or do you want me to take it? No, you're you're better suited for this one. Okay, just trying to include you. No, you're good. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, So... 
the feel that I go for, which again, I don't hold any GMs or players to this feel. It can be done differently, but the feel I go for is like this epic fantasy thing where players don't often die, but there's definitely danger there. And they don't often die, though. There's definitely a lot of NPCs and adventurers in general that all play a part in the game. But the NPCs don't usually make it past, like, fifth level. The way I figure it is these players are playing someone special that just happens to get past that level of, well, at this point, most things are going to kill us. And they happen to exceed that point in skill and abilities and get to the point where it's sort of like that syndrome you mentioned with the Greek demigods. There were a lot of people who went around trying to be heroes, but there were a few people who were really special and made it past just being a hero. So that's the kind of feel that I'm going for. Definitely not a gritty, you're going to lose characters in every campaign type thing. Okay. Another way to put it is it's a very defense-oriented game as opposed to an offense-oriented game. I've noticed that in D&D, it's sort of like you're rushing to kill the person before they kill you. Yeah, I can totally get that feel, yeah. In Trail of Heroes, you're trying to make sure they don't kill you before you kill them, which sounds the same, but it's not at all. You have much more emphasis on not dying than you do on killing the other person. Okay. No, I can get behind that. That sounds good. For example, the way I accomplished that was, you know, in D&D, you do significantly high damage compared to how much health things have. And in my game, at a certain point, you're going to as well. But you also have at least three to four defensive abilities, depending on the system. Actually, three to five, depending on basic, standard, or advanced. But uh, in standard, which I'll talk about now, and not talk about the other two because it's even more (laughs) complicated. In standard, you've got defense, which I already mentioned is basically armor class. Armor, which is basically damage reduction. Dodge, which is percent chance that an attack will miss if it rolled to hit and by the way most people don't get dodge which is why it's only a few and then you've got obviously health which technically is a defensive stat because if you have a lot of health you're going to die slower than if you have none or very little so generally everyone boosts one defensive stat at least usually two but at least one is boosted i've had a lot of fun with characters that deal tons of damage and have tons of health. And it's very dangerous character to make because if you don't have a high armor and you don't have a high defense, you're going to get hit and you're going to take a ton of damage. But if you have like 500 health to start, which is a little stretching it, but if you have 500 health to start, You're not going to go down like that. You're going to go down a little slower. But that's pretty much the feel of it is a very defense-oriented game. Yeah, I could see that character being kind of like a naked Celtic berserker or something like that, you know, just kind of running in, no armor, just swinging wildly. And I mean, when he hits, he hits. Pretty much. His name was Paragor. He was a half-orc priest of the Deadly Circle. 
Okay. So a question for Thomas now. We want this game. We want to grab it. How best do we get this in our grubby little hands? All right. So we have a couple options for you. Uh, We have a Patreon page, which we uh, have three different types of membership. So even with the most basic one, basic membership, you still get the game rules and all that stuff. And you'll be able to play to your heart's content. The higher up options just give you more bonus content and other features that go along with those options. And then we also have our website where we have it sold as just a rule set on our website. And that doesn't come with a membership. So all you get is just the rules and that's it. Okay. And I assume we'll have both of those sites posted somewhere with this podcast as well. Yeah, we'll definitely put the links to those in the show notes. Yep. Now, will these all be digital copies only, or is there going to be like a physical box copy out at some point? So these are all digital as of now. I, okay. I think at some point we might be doing a, a convention whenever those finally come back. <laughs> and we'll, ha- we'll, have a hard, we'll have a hard copy for the convention, but as of now, it's all digital. Awesome. And there's a reason for that. And I got to tell you the reason for that. That is because when you buy the digital copy, you're not buying a PDF. You're buying a Google folder. So in that Google folder, let's say you buy the $7.20 copy that you just get off our website. That'll come with the main rule book, which is all one rule book. It's the only thing you need. And anytime we revise it, which we will be doing basically patches, just like any computer game. So we'll eternally be doing updates. So anytime you buy that, you'll get all of the updates as we complete them. And it'll be categorized separately. So you can go in there and you can say, well, I was in the middle of a campaign in this update and I don't want to go to the new one yet. I'm going to finish the campaign in this. You don't have to switch over. Okay. No, that's that sounds great. And with the Patreon, it's the same thing. And I will mention again that the rules, the one-time payment for the rules only on our website is $7.20. For Patreon, $3 a month gets you the rules plus some free content, which is available for the $7.20 again, obviously, because it's free. And then you get a little bit of extra content with the $3 a month too. At $5 a month, you get the base rules plus any rule books that we came out with after that. And then all the content on Patreon that is $5 or less. And there's a good number of that. I won't go into all the details. And then the $10 a month on Patreon gives you all our games as we release them. And many of them will be pre-release and then updated and updated and updated. And those, you will get real-time updates instead of having to wait until we do a significant update and release a new patch with the work-in-progress things. Awesome. Uh, okay. Right now, on the $10 a month, we have Trail of Heroes Standard and Basic. We do not have Advanced out just yet. And Basic is quite not finished. <laughs> but it is playable. It is playable, as is evident by the fact that we've gotten to a fifth or sixth level party from first level with Thomas and me doing a play test. Yes. So it, it is playable. It's just not finished yet. So it's an alpha, not beta? <laughs> Technically, it's beta because people can buy it that are okay. outside of our company. Okay. But it is, uh, yeah. So $10 a month is definitely worth it. But for those people who just want to try the game, I would suggest $3 a month. Look at the game. See if you like it. Play it for two months. 
then if you don't like it, cancel the subscription. You'll still be paying less than you would if you bought the game a one-time payment. That's a fair reason. I mean, that's yeah, that's not a bad plan. <laughs> so my last question is, what are your plans for Trail of Heroes going forward? What sort of content is in the works that you can tell us about that you're planning on putting out? What are some of the projected projects looking like for the future? I'm going to answer that because that's kind of my job. (laughs) And this whole company is these new products. So basically, right now in the works, I'm still working on the Trail of Heroes Basic a lot. I'm working on the NPC document, or as I have rebranded the acronym, to Newly Presented Citizens. And that has a hundred different NPCs with stat blocks for Trail of Heroes Standard but no storyline to them, just their name and the stat block and the portrait. And it'll come with a folder with all the portraits in it so you can download the portraits and put them on like Roll20 or whatever if you want. Or you can just do whatever you want with the document because it's got the portraits too. But uh, those are the only ones that I'm actually actively working on. There's a bunch other that are technically in the works. We've got Powers of Arithmetic, which is sort of something that's going to come out. (laughs) I won't go into that, really. It's complicated and we don't have time. We've got Trail of Heroes Advanced. We've got Zombie Dense, which is a very lighthearted political game. (laughs) If you can believe that exists, (laughs) it's possible even. And then we've got... The Leopard of Rudaprag, which was based off of the actual Leopard of Rudaprag and the story behind it, which was a leopard that killed and ate a bunch of people. I don't remember where that was, but Thomas probably knows. (laughs) And then there is The Greatest Lineage is a Age of Empires type game, but much more complicated. Uh, Then we've got... What am I missing, Thomas? Oh, Fleas Headhunters and Wars Over Gallopay. And I've got a book that I'm finishing up, like a novel. And I've got just so many things. Maps. It makes me, yeah, massive amounts of things. There will always be stuff on Patreon, that's for sure. Yes, definitely. <laughs> no, that sounds like you guys have a ton of stuff coming up. That always, like, when I want to invest in something, if I want to buy something, like, if the standalone game's good, great. But if you're like, hey, we've got a bunch of stuff coming out, and we're not going to DLC and charge you a nickel dime you for every little thing that comes out afterwards, like, I'm getting this and so much more that totally makes it worth my dollar for me. Right, so I like $10 kind of a month will get you all of that. That's awesome. All right. Well, I think that brings us to the end of the interview portion of today's episode. One of the things that we like to do with our guests when they come on is we roll a bunch of dice on our monster mashup table and create a monster on the fly. Awesome. So if you guys are up for that and you have some dice available. I got some metal dice. I'm going to because there's two of you. I'm going to let you decide amongst yourselves who rolls what when okay but we'll go ahead and get some dice rolling and figure out what in the world we're making today chaos <laughs> all right all right so the first thing i'm gonna need is a d4 roll this is the method of locomotion how does this sucker move around <laughs> thomas you can roll that because i have to search through my uh-huh. dice to get what i need how many legs do i have that's the question <laughs> oh i got four a four it yeah. swims I'll snap. All right. 
And the plot twists. <laughs> Alright, next up is a D6 roll for what does it eat? Oh. I'll take that one. I got a D6 that I really like to roll. It's my black wood dice with skulls inlaid in it. Ooh. I got a two. A two. Uh-oh. It eats plants. That makes okay. sense. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So it swims and it eats plants. I'm seeing a goose. <laughs> Peace was never an option. <laughs> All right, next up is going to be a D8 for the size. All right. Six. Six is going to be huge. We- a giant geese. We so end up getting giant rubber duckies they have floating in the ports. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> we end up getting we end up getting a lot of huge swimming things on this table. It just happens that way. Yeah. <laughs> I think that is the size that we have gotten more than any other. Because huh. uh... I know we've gotten it at least three times. Hmm. Huge, but not necessarily swimming. I think we've only had two huge swimming monsters before. I mean, the last one that we did with Lewis from Dead Channel, that one was a huge swimming creature. Right. That was a fun one. That was so much fun. Anyway, back to this one. <laughs> was it Was it also an omnivore? <laughs> it ate fruits and vegetables, yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so next up is another D8 roll for social organization. I'll take that. Four. Four. We got that one again. It's a family, so matriarch plus patriarch with offspring. Okay. okay. I'm still not leaning away from the giant rubber duckies. <laughs> I like it. I like where that starts. <laughs> All right, so this is where we may end up throwing a monkey wrench into that, though. Uh, we need a D10 roll for the number of limbs. Oh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what Thomas thought he was rolling for at first. Yep. Oh boy, uh, seven. <laughs> okay, so seven limbs. I, I can still see a giant rubber ducky. I'm still yeah. there. <laughs> well, it's it's at least you know two legs, two wings, and then three extras to assign as we choose. That's yeah, right. y'all need to make that a D percentile so you can have hundred handers. Oh boy, yeah. What if so, it's like a hippogriff ducky? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or a manticore ducky. Yeah, oh, that would there be perfect because yeah, it'd have yeah, the scorpion four stay. legs, four legs, two wings, and the tail. Yeah, yep. okay, that would be, that works. That would be seven. That yeah. All right. Since we're talking about Greek mythology here, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Next up is a D twelve roll for I'll the method that. of defense. All right, nine. Oh boy, nine. It has a spear limb again. <laughs> yeah, that works. Yeah. That works. It's, it's just fitting together nicely, I think. Yeah. And his name is Ducky. Okay. <laughs> because he has duck wings. He doesn't have eagle wings. He has duck wings. Duck wings. I like it. Yes. <laughs> and he quacks. <laughs> like Thomas's cat. Nope. <laughs> all right. So next uh, up is a D20 roll for quirks. Oh, all right. As in the physical element, right? We're, we're going to find out. <laughs> oh, uh-oh. 13. 13. <laughs> Digs slash creates pitfall traps. Okay. Interesting. I could see this as like maybe it has like a base level understanding of agriculture. And so it <laughs> burrows or plows for its own crops to a point. But then if things are coming, it can dig like a furrow moat to keep things back and away if it's not quite in the ocean yet. Or maybe for like around its nest where it's clutched. Well, it's, would an, be. it's an ambush predator. Oh, there we go. He can't yeah. be a predator yeah. though. Yeah. It, was a, it was a plant eater. Yeah, that's true. 
Oh, yeah. I could see like a defensive moat for like a clutch or a nest. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah, that'll, okay. That'll but yeah, so it digs these pits for laying its eggs in, and they just happen to be in a location. Think of it kind of like the way that sea turtles come onto the beach and dig a hole to lay their eggs in. Yeah, I like yeah, that. I can yeah. see that. And so whenever these eggs are there, it creates this pit that you can fall into. <laughs> I can see that. All right. Fair enough. Or even pitfalls before they get to the eggs to deter a nestrator. Yep. Okay, yeah, I can, yeah. That's awesome. What if these are golden eggs, you know? Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to find out on the D100 because that is a D100 possibility. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> but thinking like they dig kind of like a donut. So there's this little spire of earth in the middle, and that's where they lay the eggs. And then they sort of dig out around it to make this sort of moat almost. Okay. And then they cover it up just very rudimentary and or or even just leave it open. Or breathe a water jet into it to fill it up. That's also a possibility, yeah. <laughs> okay. I like it. Yeah. All right, so as I suggested, next up is going to be a D100 roll because now we make it weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one weird already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thomas, are you doing this one or am I? I don't remember who's or who uh, what order you. it was. It's me. You. Yep. All right. Well, we we typically do it twice, so you're both going to get to roll. Oh, nice. Okay. There we go. That's it. Okay. I'm glad I wasn't playing a game. 15. <laughs> 15. <laughs> Bounces uh, instead of taking fall damage. All right. <laughs> yeah. Again, what are those wings? <laughs> it's a rubber ducky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Or it can't necessarily fly. It can just break its fall just enough. Yep. <laughs> and you got like, four like, legs, so it like kind chickens. of cushions. Yeah. Like chickens. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Rubber uh. ducky, you're the one. So, like, it has an innate, oh. like, feather fall yeah. ability. I like it. All right. I'm just thinking about Goblin Cannonball in our game now. (laughs) (laughs) All they do is literally jump out of towers and bounce on people. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) All Uh, right. So we need one more D100 roll. All right. See what my D percentile can come up with. 78. 78. You roll way better than I did. (laughs) Oh, boy. Is attracted to music and will follow around any tune. Yes! I love it. I love it. Thomas is the musical guy in the group. Yes. So, you know where this would be perfect? The Delta is right by New Orleans where you've got like the river ships and all the bluegrass and stuff. (laughs) Yes. It, it, it only it only shows up once a year at Mardi Gras. <laughs> yeah. It's the best float ever. <laughs> Maybe that's when it comes up to lay its eggs. Exactly. Yeah. The, music, the music is loud enough where it says, oh, I want to come to shore. And then it lays its eggs. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. And then it defends those eggs from the Mardi Gras people. Yes. <laughs> the eggs look like a giant pile of Mardi Gras beads. Beads? Oh, yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> but, like, but, like, the individual beads are, like, the size of your head because this is a huge creature. Right. Yeah. Well, I think it's just it looks weird enough to where everybody's in party mode. So they just think it's other humans <laughs> inside of a costume. <laughs> yeah, kind of like the big dragons at Chinese New Year. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. So 
Just to recap what we got. So it swims, it eats plants, it's huge in size, it has a family social structure, seven limbs, one of them is a spear limb. I think we decided that it was going to be manticore-esque with that spear tail kind of going. Yep, Mm -hmm. that works. It digs slash creates pitfall traps, and it's egg laying. It bounces instead of taking fall damage. (laughs) And it's attracted to music and will follow around any tune. <laughs> so the question now is, what do we call it? A groupie. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, a groupie. Yeah. <laughs> it bounces instead of taking fall damage. It's so drunk it follows around musicians, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so. And, <laughs> and we can have part of it be like fish aspect so we get that grouper yeah, yeah. there we go put like into it. it yeah so it's so it's part grouper part duck with this weird like stabby tail yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is just bizarre i love and it and it. it's got to have a duck bill and quack yeah oh yeah, yeah. absolutely oh, yeah. although and, i think it would be funnier to have a quack coming out of a fish mouth <laughs> <laughs> it is funnier to have a quack coming out of a cat's mouth so yeah <laughs> all right well That's... that was a whole lot of fun i always get a kick out of doing this part okay another thing that we like to have our guests do whenever they come on is plug someone else in the community be they another ttrpg creator an artist a musician a streamer a podcast anything that can be put into our gaming community who would you like to shout out today? Uh, I think Thomas can agree that the Ultimate Games Master app is going to be a fantastic app. We've been working with them for quite some time. That's one of the projects I've been working on is playtesting their app. And they're going to be, what do they call it? I know they're not calling it a platform anymore. Is it a companion app? Thomas, I haven't I haven't heard what they're trying to call it. I, or think, what they've changed. I think that's right. I am a little bit familiar with that particular project. Yeah, it's spectacular. I've got all sorts of stuff. It's our only experience with fifth edition D and D because that's all they have on it at the moment. But they are making it so that it's quite easy to put your own system on or make your own changes. You can already change anything you want on fifth edition, and it's really cool and easy to do. And what I liked about it the most when I first started using it, it has held true, is that it forces you to be organized in a way that I cannot be organized otherwise. (laughs) And it lays out everything in a nice way where it's not cluttered. It's got everything there, or at least it will eventually once they've released it to the public. But it's spectacular. So anyone listening, if you haven't already checked out Ultimate Games Master, go check them out. Follow them, get in their Discord, and just keep up to date on that. Because I don't think you can get into the app now. I think they said their next release is later this month. Oh, awesome. And the other main person that I really wanted to shout out is Anton Rozovsky, who is our main artist for almost everything we do with our rule books. Yeah, he's been super stellar this entire project. Yeah, he does amazing black and white art for a great price. He calls it a sketch. It doesn't look like a sketch to me. He goes by Warlock Lord on Fiverr, and he's just a terrific artist, both the black and white images and the color images he's done for us. 
And I think that's about all we really need to do a shout out to. Do you have any ideas, Thomas? No, that pretty much covers it. Sounds good. And now, finally, before we wrap up, can you go ahead and give us your social contact information, you know, where we can find you, where we can find your projects, all of that sort of stuff? Plug yourself. (laughs) Hold on, I'm getting out my card so I can read it off exactly. (laughs) I fortunately had the case with the cards right there next to the computer. All right. Our website is www.gallipay.com. That's Gallipay is spelled G-A-L-L-I-P-A-E. And then our Patreon is patreon.com slash Gallipay. Again, that's G-A-L-L-I-P-A-E. And then our Twitter handle is at Lords LLC. And that's about all the information that we really need to. All right. Right. Awesome. Well, Thomas, Andrew, thank you so very much for joining us today on Undercommon Taste. It's been a blast. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I'm actually really excited to see this project and the other versions that you guys are coming out with. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And thank you, everyone, for listening today. If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas for future episodes, please send us an email at undercommontaste at gmail.com or send us a direct message through our Twitter account at UCT Homebrew. I'm still putting up our Shakespeare and Insult Page a Day calendar-inspired roleplay prompts six days a week. They go up on the Twitter account and get cross-posted to our Instagram and Facebook accounts at UndercommonTaste. We are also on Patreon, patreon.com slash undercommontaste. All of our write-ups go up on our Patreon both the free and the exclusive ones for our patrons. So if you would like to help support the show financially, please consider coming over and becoming a patron. We are also on Discord. The link for our Discord is going to be in the show notes. You can find our podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. As always, please give us a rate and a review. This helps increase our visibility and lets us know what you want to hear more of. Thanks once more for listening. Stay safe and we'll see you again next week. Happy gaming. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Undercommon Taste. If you enjoyed what you heard, please pass it along to your friends. If you have comments, suggestions, or ideas, you can email them to us at undercommontaste at gmail.com. If we like your idea, it may make it into a future episode. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts, and we would greatly appreciate any likes, ratings, and comments you could provide. Find us on social media. We're at Undercommon Taste on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and on Twitter at the handle at UCT Homebrew. If you would like to help support the show financially, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash undercommontaste. Our theme is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find her online at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmaryccrowell. Thanks again for listening, and stay safe. You'll hear from us again soon.